Welcome back to our first evening service for the year. Did you guys enjoy the break? Ooh, no. Okay. Um, clearly, some people want to go back to campus. Um, so before I get started in uh, the message this week, uh, I just want to encourage you guys towards prayer and fasting um, this coming week. Um, and I just have a few things I'd like to share. So prayer and fasting moves the hand that controls the universe. It opens the hearts of God and the windows of heaven and brings the forces of God into action on your behalf. When we pray and fast, it amplifies our prayers to God. Not that just normal praying doesn't work, it does work. But when we fast, our prayers become even louder um, to the Lord. Uh, you know, Jesus, when he was tempted in the desert, after 40 days of fasting, imagine 40 days of not eating food. And when the devil tried to tempt him, he responded with the word of God, simply because when you pray and fast, you start to see that your thoughts, your emotions start to align with the word of God. And the only thing you can do when you respond to each and every single situation is respond with the word of God and therefore starting to see victory. I'd like to believe that when Jesus, uh, in, in Hebrews, it says he was tempted in every single way. And yet he was without sin. I'd like to believe that that is born from a place of prayer and fasting. Because if you can deny the flesh and say, I am not going to eat food, then I believe you can resist any temptation that comes your way. So I'd like to encourage us that this coming week, let us pray and let us fast. It's only five days of not eating, guys. It's not that bad. But, <laughs> but it's possible. And even when we pray and when we fast, when we're feeling hungry, when your st stomach starts to grumble, pray in that moment. Read the word of God and you'll start to see uh, Matthew 4.4 4 come, coming to life that we shall not live on bread alone, but by every single word that comes from the mouth of God. The words that come from the mouth of God are in the Bible. And you'll start to see that this is food for our souls. It is also nourishment for our bodies as well. Amen. Amen. So we are in week two of our sermon series on miracles. I know it's awkward because a lot of you, it's the first time you're at church this year and now you're hearing week two of a sermon series. Um, last week, Jonathan did week one uh, where he covered the miracle uh, where Jesus turned water into wine. Um, so I'd like to encourage you, go listen to the podcast. You can find it on the podcast app. Uh, I'm sure it's on Spotify somewhere, but... It's there. It's online. Um, go find it. Um, and it's worth a listen. And as I was preparing for the, the sermon this evening, one of the things that I found quite challenging is that I wanted to impose my thoughts and my emotions on miracles on this text. And I struggled coming up with, with a sermon because I'm like, God, I'm, I've, I've done everything. I've studied the scripture. I know what the scripture is saying. But there's, I don't know what I'm going to say to these people. What am I going to say? And then it's when I realized that, no, man, the reason why I'm struggling is because I'm imposing my thoughts and my emotions into what this text is saying. And I want to challenge you guys to open up your hearts and receive the word of God and don't impose your thoughts and your emotions. I am in, in need of a miracle. I'm in desperate need of a miracle. Uh, we are all in desperate need of a miracle. But let's put that need to the side for a bit and let's listen to the word of God. So could you please stand as we read um, the word? 
So we'll be reading from John 4, verse 46 to 54. And it says the following. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So get better. Um, wait. So he asked, uh, he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is truth. Thank you that your word brings life. Thank you for everything that you are. And Father, I pray that you'd reveal yourself in this word this evening. Father, whatever ideas, whatever thoughts I might have, I ask that you'd remove them and you speak through me to your people, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 So, for this evening's message, there are three things that we are going to unpack from this scripture. The first one is testimony creates the atmosphere for miracles. The second one is that trials are the breeding ground for miracles. And the third uh, one is truth is the seed for a miracle. So testimony, trials, and truth. So it says here in John uh, 4 verse 46, can you go to the next slide? Yes. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was healed. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So this official heard about the movements of Jesus. The interesting thing is that he was stationed in Capernaum. He was a royal official. He worked for the king. Uh, he had access to anything and everything that his heart desired. Um, but Capernaum was alongside a trade route. So there were people all over Israel who'd go past that route um, carrying whatever it is. They were carrying spices, meat, um, salt, anything and everything that they were trading at the time. Um, and they went past the city. And a lot of times that these people would, would be sharing things that are happening where they come from. And so in Capernaum, they heard a lot about what was happening in Israel. So not only did this man hear that Jesus uh, was leaving, uh, was coming to Galilee again, but he heard other things. So according to the book of John, what are the other things uh, that he might have heard? In John 1, uh, it says, uh, it speaks of the testimony of John the Baptist. So that's the first testimony they heard, he heard. And when John the Baptist announced his ministry, he says, there is one who is greater than me who is coming, who I am unworthy of tying his shoe straps. Because um, he had Jesus sandals, didn't have shoelaces. Um, not only that, but he said that, behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then he had the testimony of the wedding in Cana, where Jesus turned water into wine. I don't know about you, but turning water into wine is actually a big deal if you think about it. Because in order to produce wine, you have to first plant a vineyard. 
right? Once you've planted a vineyard, you have to water the vineyard, and the weather needs to be perfect. And that's why there's a lot of wine farms in Cape Town, and there aren't any wine farms in Joburg, because the Joburg weather doesn't allow. There's an environment for it. And then once they grow, you need to take the grapes, and then you need to crush them. Once you've crushed the grapes, you need to put them in a barrel and ferment the grapes. Uh, once they ferment, and then you put them in a bottle, and then you can sell them, and you can start distributing to people so they can start having a good time. So that's how difficult it is. So Jesus just bypassed that entire process and says, nah, I'm just going to turn water into wine. And boom, water into wine. That's the kind of testimony that does not stay there. Naturally, that testimony travels because people are like, there is no way that this is possible. But they all saw it. They all witnessed it. There's also the testimony of those who were at the temple. So Jesus in John 2 gets to the temple and people are selling things in the temple. This is a place of worship. This is a place where they're supposed to have Sunday service. Imagine you come here on a Sunday and there's a KFC stall there. There's a chicken licking stall. There's a debonair stall. And now we can't do church because people are selling things. And Jesus was like, nope, not in my father's house. And he flipped tables and he started chasing people away and said, this is a house of prayer for all nations. So he heard this testimony. He heard the testimony of Nicodemus in John 3 where he was asking God about how do I enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, you must be born again. This is where John 3, 16, that famous scripture comes from, that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life and not perish. Another testimony is, again, John the Baptist. He comes in and he says, Christ must increase and I must decrease. He is greater than I am. I am just paving the way for the ministry of Jesus. That's what my ministry is doing, is preparing the hearts of people for Jesus' ministry. Then you have the, the testimony of the woman of Samaria at the well. When she was at the well, she, shared, um, she had an encounter with Jesus. Then she said, the worst testimony I've ever heard. She went to the people and said, come and see a man who knows all that I have done. Ah, that's not inspiring. I hear that and I'm just like, yeah, that's fine. Leave me out of it. But it led an entire city to believe in God. That testimony brought revival in that city. So this man heard all these things. And when he heard that Jesus was going to Galilee, he figured, figured that, man, let me go there so I can see this Jesus for myself. One thing that these testimonies were doing, they were stirring faith in his heart. They were creating an environment where he started not believing what his situation was saying, but he started trusting God. And therefore, he went to God seeking a miracle because of everything that he'd heard about God. But take note of what all these testimonies are speaking about. They are all speaking about salvation. There is no healing miracle that we see, but he thought, man, surely he can heal my children, my son, who's at the point of death. Another thing about the powerful thing about testimonies is that they change the environment. One of the things I used to, that used to frustrate me as a student was when I'd go to the library and I get into the library and the library feels very heavy around exam season. It feels very dense. It feels very stressful. That's simply because the testimony that's floating around in the library is that I don't know if I'll make it. This, this is very tense. This is very stressful. Oh, I need to catch up on all this work. Even campus becomes, starts to feel that way. And that's simply because of the testimony that is shared. But who here felt that this environment this evening was such a positive one that, man, they feel like they can encounter God? And that's simply because of the testimony that is in this environment. There's a reason why in Connect Group, when we start Connect, if you're not in a, in a Connect, sign up after the service. That's for free. Um, 
There's a reason why when you start Connect Group, we ask you, what are you thankful for? Because the testimony that you're going to share about what God is doing in your life is going to change the environment of your Connect Group. There's a reason why at the end of Connect, we ask you, what did you learn and who will you share it with? Because we know when you share the testimony with your non-believing friends, with your non-believing family, it will change the atmosphere. The official heard so many testimonies, the only response he had was that he needs to go and find Jesus himself. So this year, let it be a priority that we share testimony. Even if it's a bad testimony, just share what God is doing. Because the woman at the well shared that, come and see a man who told me all that I've ever done. And people not only believed because of her testimony, but because they also went to Jesus and they believed for themselves. So there is power in the testimony. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony because our testimony testifies to what God is doing in our lives. And when you are in a desperate situation, when you are facing a trial, and when you don't believe in God and you've exhausted every single other option, there is only one place for you to go when you remember all the testimonies that have been shared and then you go and you seek Jesus. That's what this official did. When he faced his trial, Remember, this official worked for the king, so he had resources. He had people who he could go to. The king had people who he could connect him to. Uh, his take-a-lot cot was always full and was always being satisfied, like just, you know, simply because of where he was living. And so because of that, he was well-resourced. But I can imagine that now his medical savings were finished. Um, all his relationships weren't working. The doctors didn't know what to do. And therefore, the only thing he could do was go to Jesus. And so our trials are the breeding ground for miracles. Next slide, please. And so it says this in verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Capernaum was about 37 kilometers away from Galilee. And in order to get to Galilee, he had to walk around eight hours. Can you imagine walking for eight hours? It's like when you're taking a hike and then you get lost along the way and then you just, for eight hours, you're going and going and the sun is hot and you're just like, God, lead us. For eight hours, he was walking, going to Jesus. Another thing about Capernaum is that in Greek, the word Capernaum means a place of comfort. So in order for him to experience his miracle, in order for him to see his son healed, he had to leave his place of comfort. A lot of, the t a lot of times we want to see a miracle, we want to see God move, but only in our place of comfort. We don't want to take the time to seek God and leave the place of comfort and walk for eight hours in the hot sun where I, when I arrive to Jesus, I arrive there with the smelliest of armpits, with, with a lot of sweat, and come as I am to Jesus and ask for healing. Rather, we just sit and we watch Netflix. Or rather, it's more important that we go spend time with our friends. There's one thing that I admire about this official. He left his place of comfort and he seeked Jesus because he had heard who Jesus is and what Jesus is capable of. He left his, his place of comfort. He was in a desperate situation. His son was at the point of death. So he had to leave his place of comfort. Not only that, but it says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. There are people, there are lost people 
who are so far from God that the only way that they will get saved is if they see a sign and wonder. A lot of people now have a lot of arguments as to why they should not believe in God. They'll put science up. They'll put, um, you know, their moralistic beliefs that, man, will I decide what is right and what is wrong. But we see here that Jesus said, I will intervene. All those arguments that you are putting up against why you should not believe in me, I will intervene in your life to such an extent where you can't use those arguments anymore to not believe in me. I remember on campus I was evangelizing a student, and as I was evangelizing the student, we were seeing it's going nowhere. Um, it's a group of students, and one of the guys had a broken leg. And so we were like, okay, before you guys leave, can we just pray for you? Uh, it won't hurt. Um, let's just let's, let's see what happens. Maybe God will move. And so we prayed for him. Um, we prayed for his leg to get healed. He was in a cast. He was wearing a moon boot, everything on crutches. Uh, and we were like, we were praying, God, heal, heal, heal. We declare healing in the name of Jesus, everything. And he wasn't healed. <laughs> and we're like, give us your phone number, you know, just so we can see. Um, just so we can save face. Um, it, was, it was quoted too embarrassing for us. But uh, the following day, he calls us and he lets us know, hey, um, uh, I'm healed. My leg is no longer broken. Uh, I'm going to the doctor now. The doctor, I mean, he went to the doctor. The doctor confirmed that his leg is no longer broken. Uh, and then uh, they're now about to remove the cast. And all of a sudden, he had so many arguments as to why you should not believe in God. But all of a sudden, he's like, God healed me. I, I cannot help but to believe. I have a family member who, when my wife and I were getting married, she was just against the idea of us getting married. She was against the idea of us honoring God. She wanted nothing to do with that. And so when, when, when our daughter went into hospital, eventually we, we pushed through all that uncomfortableness. Um, and then when our daughter went into uh, hospital, she was born early. There was a point where she almost died. We were praying. We were trusting. God miraculously healed her because the doctors honestly did nothing. They were like, there's nothing we can do. But miraculously, she started getting better each and every single day. And we started sharing this testimony to the family. She heard this testimony. And now she's in a position where she's like, man, I need to find a church and get right with God. Because there's nothing that she could argue against that testimony. She believes she's a very practical person. But practically, if you leave a sick person alone who's about to die and not give them medicine and not intervene, they're supposed to die. But God intervened and miraculously healed her. So we're seeing that testimony, I mean, that, um, that a miracle is sometimes needed against people who have a hardened heart towards God because there is no worldly argument that you can make against God intervening in a situation. And in order for, this, for, 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 for the breeding ground of our trials to, to bring us a miracle, we need the seed, which is the truth of God. In verse 49, it says, the official said to him, sir, come down, I mean, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. How many times when we've heard the voice of God, when we've heard the, 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 the word of God, our first instinct is to doubt. Is that, man, maybe this is not possible. Man, maybe God will not do this. But I love the fact that he wanted a miracle to look a certain way. But Jesus had other plans. 
See, he was thinking that Jesus is going to come through in terms of saying, come, lay hands on my child because you must touch him. You must be in close proximity. You must see him in order for my son to be healed. But Jesus was like, no, go, go. Your, your son will live. And I'd like to imagine him walking back again, that eight-hour walk. As he's walking, all he's saying to himself is, Jesus said my son will live. Jesus said my son will live. Jesus said, my son will live. Jesus said, my son will live. He was declaring the word of God in that situation because the word of God is truth. And so he had a choice. It's either he doubts the truth or he aligns himself with the truth. And as he's walking, he's saying, Jesus, Jesus said, my son will live. Jesus said, my son will live. And, and his servants come running to him to tell him, your son is getting better. The fever has broken over him. And the only thing you could think that what Jesus said is true. In the beginning of the service, there was a song that was playing that if you said it, I'll believe it. Because you're a man of your word. <laughs> if Jesus says it, this man's response was to believe it. And sometimes we doubt what God said. I know there are students sitting here thinking about, oh, fees. How are fees going to get paid this year? But Jesus said he will provide. And so your posture should be as you're studying, as you're on campus, Jesus will provide. Jesus will provide. They send you that statement. It's fine. Jesus will provide. Jesus will provide. Simply because you're starting to align your thoughts, you're starting to align your emotions with the word of God, which is what this official did. And lo and behold, when he got home, his son was healed because Jesus said it. Jesus' words are truth. But there's a bigger truth. Is that Not only are Jesus' words truth, but Jesus himself is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through him. Remember he said, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the response wasn't, the belief in the miracle, but it was the belief in him. And he got saved. His entire family got saved. Jesus cares about what you're going through, right? But he cares even more about the salvation of the lost. The biggest miracle that we can see is not that we are healed, that we are provided for, that God always shows up for us. But the biggest miracle is when the lost go from death to life, from darkness to light. And that is my hope and our expectation is that as we go into prayer and fast this week, we're not just trusting for ourselves, but we are trusting for those who are not seated here. There are empty seats that could be occupied by someone. Let's trust that the Lord will start to bring the lost to fill these seats that are empty. Because our biggest need isn't a miracle. Our biggest need is a relationship with God. It's reconciliation to God, to the one who created us, to the one who breathed life into us. He wants us to experience life in him and not the life that we can create for ourselves. I'd like to imagine now that Capernaum, that this man who's an official who holds authority in, this, in that city, now that he's saved, that his testimony will now start to travel around Israel, that he is sharing with each and every single person who passes by what Jesus has done for him and his family. That testimony will change the atmosphere. That testimony will change Israel. What can your testimony do in our city? What can your testimony do 
in your workplace? What can your testimony do on, the work, in, on, on your campus? We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. There are people who God has assigned, uh, who's, who is destined for you to meet so that you can lead them to him. All because of what God has done in your life. Thank you.